through their music. Out of the Box with Joey Watson on FBI 94.5. Hello, FBI Radio listener. You are listening to Out of the Box every Thursday from midday to one. And at your podcast app at all other times, I sit down with one guest and talk through their life and sift through their records. Mahmoud Fazal is a journalist, but he's got a pretty marked difference from the media grads you might bump into on your Twitter feed. For years, Mahmoud was an outlaw biker and a gang member and some pretty, had some pretty serious battles with addiction. He was in an environment shrouded in violence and often death. Now, this is the world and the subculture that he writes about for Vice. His articles uh, ranges from Saki field nights with the accuser to the cultural significance of Ziz, immigrants who are lured by Islamic extremism and prisoners offering survival tips. His six-part podcast, Violent Times, is downloadable now. But today, Mahmoud, a warm welcome to this show out of the box. Cheers, bro. Just on. <laughs> Mahmoud, um, why was the Soviet Union entrenched in a war in Afghanistan in the 80s? It's big history. This is the context um, where your parents yeah. were living. What, what, what do you know about the environment well, that basic, they were in? The houses were getting bombed, you know. Um, there was a lot of violence, uh, a lot of night raids and stuff. The Soviets weren't a pretty forced. Um, they weren't. They were pretty vicious, you know. Um, I don't really know all that much about um, the political games leading up to their invasion. Um, I just know my parents fled it. Do you know the like situation that they were living in before they left? Um, yeah, they were pretty. They had. Well, before the invasion, you mean, or mm. yeah, well, before the invasion, they they loved Afghanistan. It was um, a pretty progressive country when the Shah was in power. You know, there was a a very successful university. Women were wearing miniskirts. Um, music was part of the culture, and you know, really, really inspired by a lot of rock from america actually there was a lot of beach boys and um elvis presley records coming into afghanistan in the in the 70s um but but then um the soviets when they invaded and the shah was overthrown um the monarchy was overthrown um everything just kind of sank into yeah the apocalypse that it is today it's it's a real mess so what did that mean for your parents situation like what happened to them well they fled to pakistan and from pakistan they um sought refuge in australia because my uncle was already here um he'd moved here to study at the university of melbourne where did they settle uh in melbourne in dandenong yeah so well originally clayton um and oakley and then around that area and then we moved out to dandenong um, but at the time, that it wasn't the Dandenong that it is now. Back then, it was um, there were only like a few Afghan families. Everybody knew each other, but it was a real melting pot of um, cultures. Uh, mainly Lebanese kids and stuff who were out in Dandenong and Albanians. Yeah. So, what did that mean for the sort of environment that like that you were born into or that you grew up in? Well, at the time, um, Dandenong was going through a pretty severe heroin epidemic. Um, it was, Dandenong was a pretty low, low on the socioeconomic scale, um, very working class area. Um, and my dad worked in the markets, uh, so yeah, you'd see you'd see a lot of violence. You'd see um, what sort a lot of, of drugs? Oh, varied. You know, it varied for seeing people getting pulled with trolley poles at the train station by the Maori Crips who were punching on with Samoans. You'd see people get stabbed, people getting, you know, junkies running into cash converters and trying to stick it up with a syringe. You know, you'd see all sorts of shit. But Do you remember how young you were when you first saw violence on that scale? Oh, man, I don't know. I think I was... My dad had a shop... Um, my dad actually had a storefront shop next to the Dimmies in the Dandenong Arcade. And, um, yeah, I think I was... I don't know what I was doing, but I, I saw a guy get slashed pretty bad with a box cutter. 
across his throat. That was the first time I really saw a lot of blood and and the the, the smell of it. It kind of stuck with me. It's kind of metallic smell. Yeah. How old do you reckon you were? Um, I don't know, man. Maybe twelve or something. Or yeah, but um, but we the the violence. It was it, that was shocking because I'd never seen that kind of blood before. But you'd see people getting beaten up and stuff. I mean, everyone sees that sort of shit, don't they? How did you cope at school? Pretty well. Um, I, my primary school was all it was all pretty sweet, sunny days. But um, my final year of primary school was two thousand one. So towards the end of two thousand one, when September eleven happened and. Everything kind of changed after that because um, Afghans took us took center stage, even though even though they're not, um, you know, there were no Afghans involved in 9/11, but they were harboring Osama bin Laden. So um, Afghanistan and Afghans became the boogie monster. How long was it? I mean, 9/11. Um clearly a very significant event for particularly like Muslim people um, living in Western societies as well for the way that attitudes change towards them. How long did it take before you noticed that we were in a different political climate as a Muslim, young Muslim man in a Western society? Well, I I don't know when I'm the realisation, like if there was a a moment, but well, a few months after that, I I had my first year of high school, so... And, um, you know, people you, you spent the last six or seven years with suddenly didn't want to hang out with you at lunchtime. So you gravitated to, toward the people that looked like you and they were the Muslim boys, you know, and all the ethnics. Actually, back then, like, you know, all the Greeks, Italians and Arabs or Asians, they all kind of were one group and then the Aussies were another group and that's just the way it was. Was there friction between the two even at high school? There was underlying friction. There wasn't like an overt friction. It did spill out into overt friction. I mean, overt friction. But at the at the beginning, it was just kind of like, it, they do their thing, we do our thing, you know? And it, that still happens today. I mean, if you go to the western suburbs of Sydney, it feels like you've driven into another world. It's because you never see blokes from the western suburbs really in... In, in the CBD as much well I don't anyway or maybe I'm not seeing I'm not I'm, I'm bringing a Melbourne lens to it but yeah I feel like those underlying divides are very prevalent still even though it's not re- I mean it came to a head in 2006 in Cronulla where people where it did explode you know like a volcano but yeah do you remember where you were the day of the Cronulla riots uh no, I just remember. I remember the week. I remember a weekend around that time where we were getting text messages about uh, the same thing happening on St Kilda Beach, and apparently there were going to be all these Aussies getting together in St Kilda Beach to punch on the Lebos. And um, I know heaps of Turks and Lebos went down to St Kilda Beach, down Elwood Beach way, um, to wait for them, but no one showed up. Um, I'm yeah, glad they didn't. Was it in high school that you first discovered drugs? No, no, it was after high school, actually. I, there were people getting on drugs back then, but I didn't really... I didn't really use drugs till after high school, a lot later. And I, um, But in high school, well, you were exposed to drugs, but I think, I, think it, I really... Um, went full throttle after high school, actually. You mentioned how the ethnic divisions that existed within high school, um, it would break out into overt violence. What what did that look like? Mainly happened in the Locker Bay area where you'd heard it was all rumoured, you know, because no one was saying it to your face. So you'd pull up someone in the Locker Bay where after after class everyone kind of moves toward and you'd, you'd basically call them out and say, hey, did you, say, did you call that bloke a terrorist? Because a lot of the time they were saying it to people that couldn't defend themselves, you know. And so some of the other boys had to kind of step in and say... And we kind of we kind of had to take on that role when we were in, you know, say, year 8 or year 9 or something. But, um, 
and basically be, be like, hey, did you did you say that? And then whether they said it or not was irrelevant, but you had to act on it just to set a precedent to the other people because in the eyes of, you know, everyone, you can't, we, we couldn't stand for it anymore because it was happening a fair bit, eh? But it's not like those kids would have listened to us if we sat down and had a conversation with them. You know, they didn't give a fuck about us, so... So we just met up in Locker Bay and did it the old-fashioned way. On that, uh, let's go to our first track uh, of this uh, episode of Out of the Box. What are you going to play for us first, Mahmoud? I want to play um, The Message by 1-4. I feel like it's the first time I heard people from, you know, that sounded like they were from our area speaking in our language. Also, at the, at the, at the right age, too. Yeah, it's not like an older bloke trying to represent some kind of ethnic struggle. I know these are Islander boys, but they're from the West Side and, and it really captures that urgency um, that, you know, is, is festering and boiling inside a lot of young migrants. If you do not wish to receive this call, please hang up now before originating from the correctional complex. With Shelly 1-4 from the Western Sydney, up in Ramon on that lockdown. Free Freddy, free Levy, free me, free Vondo, free Justin, free Seth, free the 70, free the 1 4. JM, I'm a 1-4 veteran Boss on my hood cause I back my section When I met the streets and slapped that thing Lad, I knew I found my obsession Had me running the ball, no question Swear any op I saw, I pressed him Either sell YP or Lex Couldn't leave his chest without no injection 1-4, we've been putting in work Since knee high, them days on the curb Now I'm proud to say to this day forward That the 7 put it up on a shirt Just fill up the car and urge Got things on hips, watch ops disperse I back my shank and you pull yours And see who will take off first Don't whinge and cry like me Missile, Mako, grip and ride Have your team all wet and wild Right where my crew bring clips and slide Wanna talk them clips and try This is a different side You boys just bitch and hide Come out and ride for your friend Cause someone got dipped and shh Someone got dipped and shh Get down when I grip that steel Hands up when I bring that hammer Come through while I pull that ching Have your head face down like a Southwest ganger 1-4, we ain't got no manners Only if you test my crew If you ain't a part of this beef And you wanna talk shit, you can get some too See me eating well Pull out my ching for my show and tell Call me festus when you hear the bell I'll be wrecking ops like I'm wrecking Ralph We on the block so there ain't no fouls I'll be scoring points when I kick him out I'm on the road and it's getting loud When you see me approach like another route I'm on the high from the gunja My sticky can put you down under. These ups are broke and affiliate that I toss to go half on a bumper The cocker got me feeling jumpy While the Dyson got stuck in Jumanji Getting triple digits like I'm Scotty Pippen We've been in the kitchen, Gordon Ramsay Ooh, now that I'm down for the 2 double seven oh. Die for my set, you already know Knocking them down like the dominoes I know that they know that Spenny's about to blow All of my dubs coming in the road But I'm still writing raps on my rapping phone Retaliation is a must, ain't no maybe, ifs or buts We took numerous trips around there, but lad, that's something I can't discuss I don't wanna end up in cuffs We heartless, wrong or right, regardless, yeah, I'ma back my blood Scott got any left his uzzo, shit and he's still out talking tough They don't know about taking risks, them big lads, they made for this We invest in shanks and shivs and if there's beef, we taking trips I can't call them ops, like we beefing flops I got friends looking at ten, you watch yours get put in a box Who wants smoke? They don't Smoke, trust me, mothers, them boys ain't ready. 21 what? But one got knocked. Ha, I guess that makes them 20. Free up Freddy and Lebs. Plus, my Koei is Deacon Chef. Making moves what them boys follow. Playing these games like Simon says. They call me Chingy, not cause the way that I squint my eyes. When things get iffy, then I'm known to wave and just swing my knife. When it goes in them, then I push the blade a few, few more times. 2 7 drill them, them boys victims, they don't ride, just bitching life. We twist up while them boys just dancing. Strictly shivering, shanking. That sword like captain Step on deck and flank him Too much for But no action They came for women I'm not here romancing no I'll use anything Just to get the win I don't take no chances Aye. Don't step on the field Cause weapons are still Are used to play this game Don't believe in your home Cause setting a stone Is where you'll see your name If I lack when I'm out Then I stomp till I see his brains Leave these pavement stains I'll do it again and again Do it again and again <laughs> That's reckless shivers If it's done by me So be the YP Then like the rain this thing goes all in him That's vicious drillers Opposite victims Out on a mission Souls are missing I love just fucking twisting From Mount Drew at Western Sydney That is 
with the new face of Australian hip-hop, perhaps one four with the message. It was brought into FBI Radio today by Mahmoud Fazl, uh, the vice journalist and former Outlaw Law Motorcycle Gang member. is now a podcast maker at Vice. Mahmoud, tell me about the Dandenong train line. The Dandenong train line was a very grimy place in the late 90s, man. It was a... It was it was like uh, every morning, if you if you caught the dra- dandy train line, you'd see all a lot of graffiti. Um, it was the old Connex Connex trains. Um, the seats stank, you know. Um, they were they were never really that packed, um, and you had to clutch your wallet, man, because you don't you don't know what was going to happen between Dandy, Yarraman, Noble Park, Springvale. You know, and then onwards. You don't know what might have happened to you on that train. You definitely weren't catching that train at night. It's certain, you know, on the weekends because, yeah, you you were losing everything you had, your shoes, your wallet, even your hat if it looked nice. Did that happen to you? No, it didn't happen to me. Why not? Oh, maybe because man, I was young back then, so people don't pick on kids that are too young and I was mates with a lot of dudes that were that were that were doing the graffiti thing I wasn't doing the graffiti thing myself but um T- take me through the graffiti thing what what's the what's the significance of that so basically the way young people in in our areas would hang out you'd all meet up at train train stations every every area or every group of friends it wasn't gangs it was just groups of friends would hang out at their local train station because you could you could move around the city. Um, and so you'd spend all day drinking beers at the train station. Um, and it also, there was there was guys who were what would have described as lads now, but like urchers, you know, like graffiti dudes that were making moves. And, and we kind of were on the same wavelength because we were all just trying to make money. But they were all, they were obsessed with, with painting, painting their name, tagging their name and spray painting these amazing cartoonish like colorful pieces along the train lines and their buzz was you know to get to rack up panels on the trains and that and then um they'd all meet up at richmond station and kind of watch the trains go by but i i, I just appreciated that that hustle i never understood it at that age because i you know we just thought these they were just guys that would go in and shoplift shit for us and we'd give them knives we'd trade knives and they'd go into any shop we wanted and get us hoodies and that so we had a little underground like uh black market system going down do you know what i mean like how did that work like it's not that they were necessarily like a separate gang it was just that like no we were all hanging out together so me and my boys were hanging around oakley station and they because the the way the graffiti scene works is they've got very particular groups like they have an identity which and they spray their tags um, under under a group moniker, you know. So, and that's usually just the area that they grew up around, or whatever the name of their tags are. So yeah, we would just um, we would always be waxing with a lot of those dudes in the train station, just getting hammered together and going to house parties and stuff. And but back then, because yeah, I had relatives working in the markets. We were buying. We, we had access to heaps of knives. And um, we'd be flipping knives and knuckle dusters and stuff to them, and yeah, and then we just became good mates. And they would, we'd, you, I wouldn't say we were a gang or anything like that, but we were just mates who chopped each other out, you know. Wow. So, I'm interested in like after um, after you eventually finish high school, um, like things start to change a little bit. Um, what sort of subculture did you begin to fall into then? Like straight out of high school? Mm. Straight out of high school, high school, I was really into art. Mm. Yeah, I got into art because I changed schools in year 10, so I got I got really into um, film and, um, yeah, um, paint, painting and art and stuff, and I got accepted into the VCA to study film. And um, What sort of stuff were you making? Uh, I was making pretty quiet Melbourne super real, like social realism kind of stuff nice. um, not much dialogue non-actors just very quiet films about 
migrants in in the areas, which is the outer suburbs. Mm. What, what was it like, like being at the VCA, which is like a very different crowd, I'd assume, from the like knuckle duster slinging um, well, crowd I, that you come on from. I've high moved. I've kind of left that behind because I was into this art thing, and I was, yeah, I'd kind of assumed a different persona in that um, I was using all the stuff that I that I'd been raised in uh, to express this thing that other people understood and and that might come that might be traced back to the way I observed what graffiti artists were doing at the time you know um, I just wanted to express our way of thinking and our culture in a way that felt right for us and because I thought it was actually pretty it had it had a lot of merit I thought yeah I still do and that's that's what my work kind of tries to illustrate is that there is profound merit and poetry or whatever in in some of the you know lowest uh craziest sections and wedges of society well but on that let's uh, go to another uh track what do you want to play second off the top so this is the extermination by taunts featuring hg the hired goons anyone who was raised in um in melbourne throughout the mid 2000s if and they were running amok on the train lines if you weren't listening to taunts you weren't listening to fucking no one ice g take this shit fuck with it can't sleep, hear the clock tick in the cockpit Kamikaze, Yagor, yelling bonsai Can't underneath or look at small like a bonsai Living life like a wet mob boy Throwing spanners in the works Got screws loose like Luddites Born the chop whack, cruise up like Rory Jack Now you can't just cruise up and shake my hand Thinking everything's butter when you roll with the others I just sit there, don't say a word Blue rainbird, nappy sand, sneakers, face like police identikit Brain sits in my skull, all Antarctic and Arctic Some of the things you say and the things you do don't exactly fit I spit on your masquerade, pray you cop a tetanus blade Tarnish with a bit of gut varnish Shut your mouth, stay shook in your house like Amish people Feeble amoeba, see I'm a carcinogen Run you over in a car and the petrol was a definite bargain to spend Out on the streets again, shredding blue stones with the brown bottles The town's all mottled and blotchy Roll Romero out while you're not knee Can't you see hocking thieves watching D's in their shiny pickups Wanna be big toys, won't last Chatting that shit noise with a visible mask Taunts as bars will kill you real fast You ain't got fucking heart Mild hood and knocks on mics I smell good Mind in the gutter, elbows on the barwood A ton of drink, uninvited, Reaper Hubbard thinks Don't you up Pissing your fucking sink, you sold your dreams when we spoiled your weekend Wrapping up, drinking that oil for the beacon Boost up creep kings, your suit got sequins Suck my cock and fuck right off Firebrands that attack with the wrath You gaunt as a goth, you react like a sloth You get fucked up, off or over Dance on your head like a bossa nova It's rapid shit, grab your gauze wigs Slap flags out their sandals like asterisks Walk like a quink in maraud drinking Pull the plug like Nancy Creek on fancy shit Abandon shit, catch the chips Call a quiz, time to pack up, call for backup Why'd you think that you could rhyme and drink? You should've stayed sober, game over I can battle you blindly, bring your crew try me You better move wisely, cause there's a gang of other goons like me We bruise nightly, too grimy, nick tightly Spit like we ready to bump heads and bury you Plus get yourself a seat, crush the concrete Melt your team, rush your proper, whole pot your whole roster Stomp you like a Marty monster off a flask of vodka you do shows way too often I should videotape them and make you watch them Get your boot off the stage like you Craig McLaughlin Bare time the jewel case became your coffin You need to use your eyes for real Realise fuck with dudes run shit Dump dumb shit in the gutter Cut to hunting for another sucker to slay Say something, talk less, walk more, action speak Say keep, you'll see the straight at eye level with feet Through a head with beveled edges, head your best Before you meddle with clever kings We'll bet everything and be better than anything you ever think of You write wrongs, nice songs But this is rap you can from hacks like that We smash it on tracks Fuck your fashions and that Stuck in the 80s with the shit Fat laces and hats Fucking bozo show Pony slats and busters Seems to me the whole scene's table with suckers So pucker up Cause you come up as a kamikaze I'll give it to you straight Even when I'm drunk and dusted Representing the Badlands of Melbourne And Aussie hip-hop at Formation That is Taunts with the Extermination 
The throwback is courtesy of journalist Mahmoud Fazl. He has been a gang member, but today he is my guest on Out of the Box. Mahmoud, around um, 2012, uh, motorcycle clubs were competing for uh, power and patching in migrant gangs from the outer suburbs. How did you get involved? Oh, I got a, I got involved through some friends. Um, yeah, just through through friends, we went down to down to a clubhouse, and um, uh, it was it, it felt the first night we went there it was on a Friday night, and there were heaps of cars and heaps of bikes parked even outside the clubhouse. Why did you decide we, to go down? What what drew you there? But then I, I'd really I was battling a bit of a meth addict. I was a meth addict and battling a bit of an addiction at the time. How did you fall into that? Just couldn't get a job, man, and I just started hanging out with people from my area, and we all just started slipping. That's it. it, it, it we just couldn't. We weren't getting jobs, so we just started uh, finding a different way to, you know, escape. And uh, yeah, we took we took a path that really um, sank us. Do you remember the first time you did meth? Uh, yeah, it was in, um, it was probably in, um, Chase's nightclub in the toilets with, with, uh, yeah, with someone. How far with, out of our school were you? Oh, this is years later, man. It's probably about four or five years later, yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, just once, you try it once and it. You just keep buying more and more and then you kind of rack up a habit and it goes from one day to the weekend to Thursday through to Monday. Yeah, it's not it's not fun. It's not, it's not a happy place. It's so you're in a pretty bad way and you head down to um, this motorcycle clubhouse. This is the Finks? Yeah, well, I was looking for a way to escape, get out of, break out of that cobweb um, of addiction. And I was hanging out with this these other these other guys on you who who were connected and um yeah we we ended up going to the to the clubhouse and um it was it was great because it was you know pretty fucking scary place the things at that time this was the the original things back then what like what happens when you rock up at a clubhouse for the first time so you're not a member of the motorcycle gang well there's prospects standing at the front and they look really fucking pissed off and they um, ask who you are and there's walkie-talkies to try and assess who you are because you're not the right person. You know, something bad might happen here. Does, like, how do you clarify that you're not? Well, you, you have to check out. So you'll say, this person sent me and then they'll call that person and that person has to say, yeah, I've sent them there with me. What would happen if they said that you hadn't been sent? Oh, use your imagination. It'd so be bad. Eventually, you fall into the motorcycle club, like mm. slowly towards membership. What, like, what was it offering you? What was the allure? Uh, it was camaraderie, but also um, very strict military-style regime and um, pretty cutthroat rules that you couldn't break, and people would know if you've broken them, like using meth. You know, you can't you can't smoke meth in a mo- motorcycle club, and the repercussions for that are a swift boot to the head. You know, um, literally. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You get jumped on by about four or five dudes. So. So yeah, it offered it offered me um, it offered me everything that I felt like I was missing at that time. Were you asked to participate in acts of violence? No. No, never. So or whether whether you want to initiate acts of violence that's on you. It's got no one's dictating to you to go and you know, commit an act of violence. Maybe they do in other clubs, I don't know. It was it was never my experience, but um whether I got involved out of my own free will and put my hand up to commit acts of violence is a whole different thing altogether. But no one's it's all it's not sons of anarchy this it's not a it's not a organized crime thing do you know what i mean mm. it's um yeah crime happens crime happens in my cricket club too 
I mean, in the sense, it's kind of like, um, uh, I mean, it's beyond the state of like debunking a myth. It's like this is like one of the most, you know, the, the association of outlaw minor so-called clubs with violence is like one of the most entrenched uh, social ideas I can think of. I think it's because it draws people from a certain subsection, you know, substrata of society. Um, the people that it draws upon are craving something and they're a bit disfigured in a way, spiritually or otherwise, or maybe psychologically, I don't know. But they, they've they created a, a subculture for themselves that sits outside of the law and outside of culture. It, it's, in many ways, it's countercultural, the movement. Um, but where it does, it, it doesn't inspire violence. Um, but it, but the, there's certain rules and places in society where they think violence works. Um, most of the people that cop violence when I was at the club, maybe they deserved it. I don't know. I didn't see any innocent people getting hurt. So, yeah, it is what it is. You sign up for it, mate. Let's play another track in tribute to early years of um, being in a motorcycle gang. What what song can we play now, Mahmoud? Yeah, this is The Pits by Low Life. I feel like this is all the best parts of being in an outlaw motorcycle club. This is the fucking party, and this is what it feels like to party with a bunch of one percenters, I reckon. <laughs> what, are, what are the parties? Just a lot of strippers and drugs. Yeah. 
bloke like Low Life with the pits, a tribute to the partying outlaw motorcycle days of my Lord Faisal. I've uh, got him for this episode of Out of the Box. His podcast, currently out through Vice, is called Violent Times. Um, Mahmoud, like sp- specifically, what position did you take up in the Finks Club? What was what was your job? Well, I just I rose the ranks. I was a treasurer for a bit, and then I got to sergeant at arms. Um, but yeah, that's that's it was a it was a long. Uh, I didn't I don't know. What was the responsibility of a sergeant at arms? Oh man, they just maintain order in the clubhouse. How really, that's that's about it. Is, how, how does that work in practice? Oh man, I'd rather not really go into that. There was some time, like where you were acting as a messenger between the club and people in prison. Yeah, I can't really elaborate on that either, man. <laughs> okay, sorry. Let's talk a little bit about the um, end of your time in a motorcycle gang what happened for you to decide that you wanted to kind of pull yourself away from that subculture yeah it wasn't it wasn't the subculture in itself i have a lot of love for outlaw motorcycle club members i still got friends who are members of outlaw motorcycle clubs i've got friends in other outlaw motorcycle clubs who i'm very close friends with um it had nothing to do with the subculture it was purely i was involved in extracurricular activities that were um, uh, extremely high stakes and um, things uh, things at that time uh, went down there was a there was a bit of tension between two kind of groups um, people got shot some people died these are like tensions between another motorcycle gang or um no not another motorcycle gang no it was just internal feuding um not it this is not the motorcycle club at all this is uh stuff that i was deeply involved in um yeah it was uh, a messy period and um yeah i just lost a couple of mates who are yeah and it shook me i think and um, the club was pretty good. I I just kind of needed my own space, and I needed to redirect my um, head. And uh, I found a different purpose that gave my life meaning, um, and gave me uh, something to live for um, that that I found uh, nourishing. What's the process of leaving a gang? Is there is it fraught? Is it official? It's what, not what kind really, of happens? It's not really a gang, you know. It's not How a do gang. You mean? A gang is like a, a gang has connotations. Um, the word has is is riddled in crime and stuff. An outlaw motorcycle club is different it's 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 a real it's a real subculture it's a real movement you know and it and it is a scene you know i think a gang yeah i think a gang is something petty and it's something desperate and hopeless um there's no ideology so do you reject the title of gang member yeah i think so i don't think i'd be a gang member i think um because, yeah, that would mean that I was in a gang. But I don't, I don't think we are. I don't think I'm in, I've ever been in a gang. I don't think. But then again, the media calls um, a lot of people gangs, a lot of my friends gangsters um, in their reporting. So it just depends who you ask, my friend. I mean, it's tricky because, like, I mean, partly, you know, the, the, there's a thing of, you know, always... Um, take what you take what you read with a grain of salt but I know from personal experience like I've been on drives up to Gosford or whatever from Sydney to to the central coast and stopped at a fueling station and seen a big um, you know pack of, of bikies come in with like swastikas you know with an and like as I'm, I'm Jewish and like so I find that like very very triggering you know like I have Holocaust um, ancestry like, I think- is in some way I mean like what what is that 
Oh, our club doesn't have swastikas for the record on on any of their insignia. So um, is it a case of but don't lump all bikies together? No, I think well that the, the, that specific thing of the swastikas uh, was kind of like fuck you to society, um, and uh, it was it wasn't politically driven. Uh, but then again, some motorcycle clubs are straight up racists, um, so it means different things for different people. I'm not excusing it. But it's you're talking about a, pe- a group of people that are outcasts who go to the furthest, or basically the um, poster child of being an outcast was is a bikey. Really, it's about being um, being the ultimate kind of yeah caricature of an outcast. Almost is a bikey. Um, they're you know, maybe it's an insecurity thing. They like feeling, aggre- looking aggressive, but it's it's also got a lot to do with the roots of the subculture, which is it's deeply rooted in the military, and um, the military is hyper masculine. I mean, there's no denying that. So there are a range of things that that would play to that. But they, yeah, you call you say they're triggering. Yeah, they they want to be triggering. You know. They're people that are fed up with the way they've been treated, so they're flipping up the finger, you know? In the same way the Sex Pistols had swastikas on their shit, you know? Mm. Well, on the um, note of the Sex Pistols, let's play some heavy music. Not the Sex Pistols specifically, but a, a local act. What are we going to play now, Mahmoud? I'm going to play um, B&E by Robber. I feel like this is um, the underside of being a bikey. This is what... Um, what happens when you're uh, when you're alone and uh, in the darkest uh, the dark nights at the clubhouse on your own when the roller shutter comes winding down?
some heavy stuff from Sydney band Robber with uh, BNE. It was supplied to me today by Vice Journalist Mahmoud Faisal. Uh, I've got him on out of the box for just a couple of moments yet. Um, Mahmoud, one of the first Mitch pitches you made to your current employer, Vice, uh, this is why you were still uh, technically a bikey, was about a Salafi uh, cricket team. What was the pitch? Oh, yeah, it was about a um, cricket team who had a lot of members. That Well, a lot of the players in the team were associated to, with a radicalised group in Melbourne. So there were kind of guys that people in the area knew to be um, on the fringes of Salafi um, Islamism. Or, yeah, it, it, what you might call a terrorist group uh, or an alleged terrorist group some of those guys got arrested um and that actually stopped me from completing the film which was supposed to be this amazing weird absurd film about these ultra religious muslims who have started a cricket team what was the uh what was the first piece that you finally did get published um the first piece i did get published was about uh, the death of Khalid Sharouf and Muhammad Elamar, who were um, two ISIS recruits from Western Sydney who um, who flew to Syria and became high-ranking members of ISIS. And it was about how um, their deaths were... Um, how we made sense of their deaths as Mus- as young Muslims uh, from the area and, and, what, and the way we... Uh, the way we thought about them and and sometimes it's uncomfortable to think that people looked at them as though they were um, yeah kind of these weird anti-hero rock stars that went and tried to fight for this cause but but it was super disfigured what drew you to journalism I just like archiving um, things that I grew up around that I thought were interesting to me um and that had meaning and just needed the right kind of filter or the right words to to give it meaning for the wider public to be able to digest you know so there's an element to it that it's like you're drawn to it to tell your own stories in a way yeah i guess they're they're my own stories but also the stories of people that i grew up around that are inherently australian stories I think, yeah, they say something about the Australia that I know, um, which is a very different portrait of um, the articles that might be published in The Australian. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how how do you... Do you think much about, like, how different your backstory makes you to the vast majority of people? I mean, I work in the media as well here and elsewhere, and, like, how few people with like lived experience like yours come to the media to tell stories do you think about how that makes you different yeah i just think um, i think it's it's the reason i was really drawn to writing about crime was because i felt like no one had no one had done it justice really um no one had really illustrated the world and given a platform or a stage to those who get written about um, it's really like a, something as bizarre as, you know, reporting on a person who's been charged and not following up with the sentence. No one no one bothers to really follow up to see what these people get sentenced. They just... Or to hear what their backstory is before they commit a drive-by shooting in Auburn or, you know, a robbery of a petrol station or a break-and-enter. No one, no one tries... No one affords criminals... Um, no one, no one wants to give them a moment's charity, partly because they don't know them. It's like when your uncle becomes a criminal, you're defending, you're defending him to everyone, right? Because you know him and you know where he came from and the decisions that he made that led to this gross act that might, event that might have happened. But we, because when that proximity is diffused, um, we don't. We don't want to give anyone any empathy. Um, and sometimes the people that we judge 
the fastest deserve the most empathy. Um, I think that anyway. Like, if you were to, like, get uh, all the crime reporters in Australia in a room right now, all the court reporters, and, like, had an opportunity to give them all some advice based on your lived experience, I guess, like, what would you say? I don't know, because they do, they all do a great job um, because, as reporters, but they're not writing about... I think crime reporters are different to crime writers. Um, reporters are just concerned with the facts that they're given. And a lot of the times, I mean, I can't really go after them too hard because criminals don't want to talk to them, so they have to get their facts from somewhere, and they have the only place they can get it from is the police. So they make these really, I don't know if you'd call it stereotypical assumptions, but um, they kind of don't have a choice. I used to be really pissed off about it, um, but having worked in the media and kind of speaking to a lot of crime reporters, I, I sympathise with them because it's a tough gig. A lot of these people do want to tell the right stories. Some of them don't, but the ones that do, it's, it's really hard because what you're dealing with is someone that doesn't want to tell you their story. And you're trying to excavate their story from somewhere. And usually you're forced to excavate it from the wrong place. Is there approach? I mean, is there what what for you if you're like at your desk and you're looking for stories that you want to do? Is there um, something that makes one thing, like one story worth telling as opposed to another? Yeah, it just depends on what draws me in at the time. Like at the moment I've been telling a lot of stories from inside prison because... I feel like, again, it's because I can get those stories from people I know because they've already been convicted and they're willing to share their stories publicly because they've got nothing left to hide. Um, and I feel like uh, prisoners are often the most forgotten about. It's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. They Once they're convicted, you know, they disappear from society. And I think I, think I like telling their stories and... Um, because I think they're, they're the most hard done by and it's it's the hardest story to tell. I, I like stories that are hard to tell because or hard for people to sympathize with because it's challenging and and it and it sa- and it says something about says more about you when you make when you realize that I don't care about someone like why why don't you care about them and trying to trying to dissect that and pull it apart and figure out why we should care about them and yeah i think the way we treat our prisoners reflects more about us than it than it does about them and with that what can we play to finish this episode of out of the box today my wood i'm gonna play um 16 straws by the drones gareth lydia definitely um a hero a writing hero of mine and um yeah one of the best songwriters in the country i reckon it's got a good voice too <laughs> so with that I'd like to thank uh, as always my producers uh, Bree Jones and Nicole DePaolo for all the work that they do and Mumbled Fuzzles thank you so much for being my guest on Out of the Box today thank you buddy one Sunday morning while I was out walking by the Brisbane's waters I chanced to stray and there I found a prisoner Laid half in the water He seen me coming And he began to say I was a native Of Aaron's Island Before I was brought To this terrible place They dragged me away From my wife and newborn my ailing parents I've been a prisoner At Port Macquarie At Norfolk Island Then Emu Plains At Castle Hill And Cursed Tower and Gabby At all of these settlements I've worked in chains but of all of the places of condemnation in each penal station 
of New South Wales To Moreton Bay I found no equal The tyranny there makes all the rest Brian, the defender from Ulster, he'd left Ireland burning and came here for the wake. Well, he was a schemer, a Jacobite nightmare. He would not be broken, but he became displaced. And the Jew had one hand, he was a violent man. He'd won the 20 pound irons Since before time began Just before the dawn broke His starvation awoke He picked the corn from the filth He found laying around And there ain't no walls at all So remote is the north The Commandant Logan He was a devil for sure Chief Flogger was mad I heard a prison guard say He washed his lash in a bucket And then drink the remains Well I heard a rumour In the barracks one night That you and O'Brien They had fashioned a knife They planned to kill Logan my will was broke My brain reeled with a secret And the next day I spoke They put me back on the game With no word of my actions O'Brien and the Jew Got three hundred lashes O'Brien came off a triangle With exposed shoulder blades His skin never healed he turned morbid and strange He was out on the rug gang Just a digging a hole I was struggling with conscience My nerves had dissolved To fifteen pair eyes O'Brien proposed Shall we go to the gallows And be done with our woes You know the game Fair plays, all I'm asking will draw 16 straws And then nothing is won Why should we grasp at the straws of our lives When we're only condemned by our will to survive 16 straws we did then draw I picked the long one the Jew picked the short He said pray God forgives you At least make it quick Fourteen pairs of eyes Watch me pound in a shiv For his heart mm -hmm. And for a few moments there was no stopping the blood Then O'Brien said friends on the scaffold this ends But it's a long way to Brisbane And we're dangerous men Well, Logan was wild And we filled him with bile He's seen the Catholic dodge Plain suicide But we had ascended his powers not that of the kings Or the judge down the river We was happy to swing We were marched through the scrub Off to Brisbane for trial And chained into a whaler We set off at lot time With six nervous marines And six infield rifles The ice end of the world Indifferent blue sky Well I turned a torpor In the stern, in the sun 
But I gather the others must have come undone I walk, breathe and smoke In a chaos of limbs A red cart squirting blood Through a hole in his chin And a volley of fire In my general direction There was panic and shots And the smell of powder burning Well I threw a rifle Up over the side It was dark by the water But I seen the shore lights Crash down in the back The wrong side of the guns Getting scorched by the powder I thought surely I'm done I seen ghoulish things Men shot limb from limb O'Brien was dead And there was pieces of him Well I tore off my shirt I was quite badly burned My eyes poor like wellsprings That was swollen and hurt I'm not sure who survived My whole trunk was on fire But they broke the chains off me And I bailed over the side Tale. I'd heard none of the friends he left in a while I'd just seen a paper And I had to explain how his commandant Logan had died just today They set out behind you They was out hunting game When he startled some natives Took a spear through his brain Then the prisoner said good I heard someone in boots I turned round and that's when The Royal Marines came This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts